Today's passage comes from Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. I'm going to be honest, I really struggled preparing uh, this week's sermon, uh, and I'll sort of touch on why uh, as I preach. Um, So the word of God reads, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, I am an imperfect man, preaching from a perfect word about a perfect king. Uh, And so, Lord, I pray that my imperfections and my lacking wouldn't be a hindrance to your voice being spoken through your word today. Uh, But, Lord, I pray that by the Spirit's power that once again, as we unpackage uh, this next passage in Mark's gospel, that we would hear your voice in our hearts clearly that you would shape us and mold us and to be able to see Mark's account as more than just an event in history, an event in the ministry of Jesus, but a living word that is still relevant to us today. I pray that you would watch over the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been uh, following the ministry of Jesus uh, through our series in Mark's Gospel. And in recent weeks, we saw that Jesus established a ministry headquarters at Peter's home, the Apostle Peter's home in Capernaum. And in recent weeks, we saw that, you know, thousands of people, the entire city of Capernaum and everyone from all over the land was coming to see Jesus. And he was getting to the point where Jesus's physical well-being was in danger. He was actually in danger of being physically crushed to death. And so they move out away from Capernaum, from Peter's home, out to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, A fortnight ago, we looked at the parable of the sower, which uh, started chapter 4, and Jesus preached from a boat. Um, I still think it's pretty cool, and I would love to be able to preach from a boat one day, but he stood on a boat, and he preached to the crowds that were standing on the shoreline. And then last week, we saw the subsequent parables uh, where Jesus You know, these parables after the parable of the sower, Jesus shared these ones exclusively with the apostles and people that came looking for answers. Now, just a bit of a pop quiz. Who remembers what the context of all these parables was? Anyone? No one remembers. All right. Well, luckily, it's all on YouTube, so you can go back and jog your memory. Um, But all these parables Jesus said was about the kingdom of God. 
Jesus gave that to us in the first parable. You know, when the disciples came to him after he preached that parable and they, they asked him, what, what was this all about? He says, you know, these parables are about the kingdom of God. Now, chapter 4, which is filled with parables, uh, we can assume that it must have been a preaching marathon because uh, by the time Jesus was done, uh, it, Mark's gospel says it was evening. The sun had gone down, verses 35 to 36. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him uh, they took him with them in the boat, just as he were, was, and the other boats were with him. Now, um, Jesus, we know, is with his apostles. He's in the boat. He hasn't gotten out of the boat yet. He's been preaching from morning to evening. And now he's saying to his apostles, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And chapter 5, if you read on, it tells us that they were trying to cross uh, across the sea to a city by the name of Gerasenes or Gergesa, depending on what type of an English translation you have. And if you look at the colorful maps, I always point out the colorful maps in your Bible. They're not just there for decorations. It's to you know, give a bit of context as to you know, where Jesus moved and where the apostles moved about on their missionary journeys. But if you look at the colorful maps and you look and you see Capernaum, where they departed from, Gerasenes is directly east across the Sea of Galilee. Um, and so before we begin unpackaging today's passage, um, we find firstly that this passage zeroes in on that journey across the sea. But before we unpackage the verses, I want to point out one particular word that's going to be a key in understanding what this text is all about. And it's a Greek word. In the, in, in the Greek, it's the word mega. And, you know, you don't need to be a Greek scholar, to know what mega means. It, it's big. It's great. Um, and it's used three times in this passage. Uh, it's used, firstly, to describe the storm that they encounter. Secondly, it's used to describe the calm that Jesus brings about as he rebukes the storm. And thirdly, it's used to describe the terror that the disciples feel when they witness Jesus stop the storm. And like I said, the Greek translation... Uh, uses the word mega three times. The ESV translation, which I use, carries that pattern across, this three times three pattern, by using the word great three times. Uh, unfortunately, the NIV doesn't carry that across. But nonetheless, today's passage begins with the disciples making this journey across the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And one thing to note about the Sea of Galilee, a lot of like sort of side notes before we jump into the passage. One thing about the Sea of Galilee was that the way that the land was shaped around the sea, it caused a lot of winds and it made the conditions of the sea very unpredictable. You might depart from the shore with it being sunny, but a storm might suddenly hit. That was just the nature of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee that we see the first usage of that word mega or great, verse 37, and a great or a mega windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, this word mega gives us a bit of context. This storm wasn't just a little bit of drizzle. It wasn't like a little bit of a, you know, a sprinkling of rain, but the passage tells us that it was a mega storm. Matthew's gospel, uh, which has this same account, it's got the same account recorded when it describes 
the storm. It uses a Greek word seismos, uh, which you probably know is linked to earthquakes. Um, and so the waves weren't just, you know, it wasn't like a little bit of drizzle. The waves weren't just, you know, r- gently rocking the boat, but they were breaking into the boat. That's what Mark's translation says. It was breaking into the boat and it was filling it up. The apostles were in genuine danger. They were in danger because their ship was either going to capsize or it was going to sink in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And so if the disciples, you know, if they weren't desperately trying to empty the water from the boat, they were probably clinging on for dear life so that they wouldn't get tossed into the sea. It was a scene of absolute chaos. Um, But what makes this even crazier for me is what Jesus was doing in the midst of all this. Verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, just taking a wee nap. Now, how on earth anyone sleeps through a storm of seismic proportions, like Matthew uses the term earthquake to describe this storm. How someone sleeps through this, I have have no idea. I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, but I'm pretty sure I'd wake up to this. Um, But I personally think it's a testament to how extreme Jesus worked himself to the bone when it came to carrying out God's mission of salvation for the world. To be able to sleep like a rock on a boat that's being smashed from all sides by waves and being tossed about on the sea to the point where they're afraid of capsizing. I genuinely think it's a testament to how hard Jesus worked in ministry. And so the disciples, you know, they're clinging on for dear life. They're being battered from all sides. And then they take a glance over and they just see Jesus sleeping like a baby on a cushion. He must have had a great center of gravity as well to be able to just remain in that one position. But the disciples, they see this and they're in absolute disbelief. Uh, And they cry out in verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Like to paraphrase that, hello, we're dying, a little bit of help. And what I find interesting is that when they called, Jesus woke up. You know, mega storms of seismic proportions, no reaction. Lightning, thunder, waves crashing against the boat, the boat filling up on the verge of sinking, rocking back and forth on the verge of capsizing, no reaction. But the disciples cry out to him and instantly Jesus wakes up, no problems. And he jumps to action. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And that's where we encounter the second use of that word mega, that Greek word mega or great. And it's used to describe the great calm that Jesus brought about. Initially, it was a great mega storm and that, you know, that mega storm that threatened the lives of the apostles. And now it's a mega calm, a great calm that Jesus brings about as he stops the storm. And for me, the way Jesus stops the storm, uh, I find it quite comical. 
because Mark's gospel says that he rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea. Let me say that again. He rebukes the wind and he speaks to the sea. He rebuked the wind and then he speaks peace over the sea by telling it to be still. And the reason I find that comical is if you think about it, they're getting tossed back and forth. The boat's just like on, in danger of flipping upside down. The boat's filling up with water. The disciples are clinging on for their lives. They cry out to Jesus for help, who then proceeds to wake up, and then he rebukes the wind. This term rebuke means to scold. So it's like he got up and said to the wind, Stop it! How dare you! And then he says to the sea, Relax! Calm down! Stop moving! And instantly, it's not like a gradual process, instantly this mega storm is replaced by a mega calm. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read this passage so many times, and there's so many times I just kind of glossed over it, and I thought, okay, storms come, disciples ask for help, Jesus gets up, stops the storm, and of course he does it because he's God, the end. Big deal, right? But if you consider what we've just unpackaged, it's really quite absurd. Like, I get rebuked by my wife very often because I do a lot of wrong things. Uh, I, when we first got married, like, I love, oh, I don't anymore, uh, but I used to love eating instant lamyon, uh, instant noodles, really late at night. My wife hates me when I eat past 8 p.m. And so I remember she went to bed first, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I started cooking noodles very quietly like I'd made like I put the pot down as gently as possible and I think the smell must have drifted up because as I was as I was cooking I, I heard a voice by me what do you think you're doing <laughs> I get rebuked by my wife often you rebuke someone for doing something wrong you rebuke a dog I rebuke my dog Logan when he tears up something that he shouldn't. You rebuke a child when they disobey. You rebuke sinners. Who on earth rebukes nature? Like a bit of rain. Let's say that you go outside. or like it's hot today. It's like 37 degrees. You don't look at the, up at the sun and be like, stop it. How dare you? But according to Mark, Jesus did exactly that. And by rebuking the wind and the sea, this mega storm became Mega calm. And the reaction that the disciples have, according to verses 40 to 41, you know, they've seen a mega storm become mega calm, and having witnessed this, they experience mega fear. Verse 40 to 41, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great or mega fear, and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so we've seen Mark use this word mega three times in today's passage, once to describe the intensity of the storm that came about, once to describe the nature of the calm that Jesus brought about, and finally, to describe the mega terror that the disciples felt when they witnessed their master scolding a seismic storm. So having witnessed all of this, uh, the disciples kind of look at each other. Like it's just gone from absolute chaos to absolute silence. 
It's not like the waves slowly die down. It's just the waves stopped in an instant. Clouds gone in an instant. And they look at each other and they ask each other, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And as I commented in previous weeks, um, one thing you'll find if you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts is that the New Testament authors uh, were actually very, very honest um, about the apostles. Uh, So honest, in fact, that the apostles are often presented in a very unflattering light. You know, some, some, if you read through some accounts in Acts, you're like, these guys look really stupid. And particularly in today's passage. And here's what I mean. You have to remember, if you've read, you know, if you've been with us in our series through Mark's gospel so far, uh, if you haven't, you can read through the opening four chapters um, if you have spare time this week. But if you remember what we've gone through in Mark's gospel so far, the apostles, they were called by Christ, by name. And they've been following Jesus everywhere he's gone. They've heard Jesus preach. And they recognized that Jesus preached with a different kind of authority. It wasn't like the preachers that they'd ever heard back in the day. But they noticed that Jesus preached with a different kind of authority. It was a divine authority. Because when Jesus preached, it was the first time that the God of the word was preaching the word of God. The apostles, when they saw Jesus exercise demons, they recognized that Jesus must have had some kind of divine authority because whenever Jesus encountered a demon, it wasn't like a head-to-head battle. It wasn't like he was wrestling with the demons to try and get him out. The moment they see Jesus, they fall down trembling before the king. And whenever a sick person encounters Jesus, The apostles saw that Jesus would perform miracles of healing. And what was special about these healings, because if you look at the Old Testament, you might think, well, prophets healed people in the Old Testament. But what differentiated Christ was that if you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, whenever they performed a miracle, they would call upon a higher power. When Elijah would perform a miracle, he would call upon the power of God the Father. But we see Jesus, when he performs a miracle, he does it by his own authority. When he exercises a demon, he doesn't say, Father in heaven, would you cast this demon out? He tells the demon, get out now. Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, was able to do all these things by his own authority. How? Why? Because he's God. Jesus made it even more explicit. Do you remember that encounter that he has with the Pharisees when he heals people on the Sabbath? The, you know, the Pharisees come and they're, they're looking for ways to trap Jesus and you know, really you know, get that aha, gotcha kind of moment. And they wait for Jesus to work on the Sabbath so that they can accuse him. And Jesus says, what? You're an idiot. Have you never read the word? He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one that instituted the Sabbath. And you're going to tell me what the Sabbath is all about? And the apostles witnessed all of this. They've been with Jesus every step of his ministry journey so far. So you'd think that by this stage, if anyone is going to truly understand the identity of Jesus, 
It should be the apostles, right? You'd think so. But what's their reaction in the storm? They're being flung back and forth. They're clinging to the boat. How do they refer to Jesus in verse 38? They call him teacher. Hey, teacher. And we saw the Jida video. Koreans call their teacher Sem. They called him teacher, not Lord, not the Son of Man, not the Son of God, not the Christ. But despite everything that they've witnessed so far in the ministry of Jesus up until this point, it seems that their understanding of Jesus is nothing more than just a teacher. And to give you a bit of perspective of where that ranks on the spectrum of authority, I'm a teacher. Your CG group leaders are teachers. Your VT leaders are teachers. And not to undermine sort of our spiritual authority that we hold, but this level of authority is a very far cry from Jesus, the sovereign God of the universe. The one who in Genesis created everything. And ultimately, that's what today's passage reveals to us. Because the sign that Jesus performs by calming the sea, it's to reveal to us that Jesus has authority over creation. This being that calms the sea, that tells the sea and the wind and the waves, stop it, how dare you? This being... He's demonstrated he has authority over creation. And by logic, by reason of dedu- like the, by, by deduction, the conclusion that you have to reach is that the only one who has authority over creation is the creator. And I've mentioned previously also what the purpose of the signs were. You know, the purpose of signs and wonders uh, Jesus didn't perform miracles so that we can perform miracles. He didn't heal people so that we can go around healing people. But the purpose of the signs, the purpose of any sign, if you think about it, it's to point us, to point people to something, to direct our attention to something. And in the case of the Gospels, it's to point and reveal the fact of who Jesus is. Each sign, in a sense, if you think about it, reveals an aspect of who Jesus is. For example, in today's passage, we saw Jesus, by calming the storm, from a mega storm to mega calm, he exercises this authority and it shows he has authority over creation. And then if you look into the next passage, next week's passage, you see that Jesus performs an exorcism. And in performing an exorcism and casting out a demon, what kind of authority does that show? It shows he has authority over the kingdom of darkness. Whoever Jesus is, he's not someone that's on par with Satan. He's so much higher than Satan. And then the chapter continues in chapter 5 where you you might have read about the bleeding woman. And Jesus heals her. And this reveals to us that whoever Jesus is, he is a being that has authority over the curse of sin, which is sickness and illness. And then chapter 5 ends where Jesus raises from the dead Jairus' daughter. And by raising her from the dead, Jesus demonstrates that he, whoever he is, 
He's a being that has authority over life and death. All these signs are like the pieces of a puzzle. They're like snapshots that give an aspect of who Jesus is. Now, we have the advantage of, uh, of hindsight because we've, we've got the, new te- the completed New Testament in so many English translations. Uh, we have the advantage of hindsight to put these snapshots and these puzzle pieces together and come to the doctrinal conclusion that the level of authority that Jesus have, has rather, is equal to God himself. We know that the only conclusion is that because he has this authority, he is God incarnate. But for the apostles, uh, they didn't have the advantage of hindsight. Um, and so sometimes when we read about the apostles and their reaction, and you know, you might think they're a bit slow, uh, a bit stupid sometimes. And in today's passage, we, you know, it shows us that the apostles, uh, they experienced mega fear. They saw Jesus turn a mega storm into mega calm. And they experience mega fear and they're left kind of scratching their heads. They've gone from chaos to silence. They saw Jesus scold the weather and they're left scratching their heads asking each other, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's how today's passage ends. And so I want to conclude uh, today's sermon by sharing two points. I, I really struggled with this week's sermon. And um, just before I jump into the two points, uh, this isn't in my script, I just wanted to share. Um, the reason I struggled is because there is such a cliche way that many preachers approach this passage. Um, a lot of people like to approach this passage from what's called, um, oh, I can't remember the word, more of like a metaphorical sense. Um Oh, the words slipped my mind. That's terrible. Anyways, more of like an analogy. Um, they tried to say, well, Jesus with the apostles in the boat, that represents us in the church with God. And, you know, we just need to cry out and Jesus will take away all the storms in our life. Um, that's the very popular way that this passage is preached from. Uh, I think it's much, much, much more deeper than that. And I don't think it was meant to be interpreted in a metaphorical sense, purely because of the way Mark writes his entire gospel. It's a very short, compact, detail-packed, condensed gospel. And he uses that word immediately 41 times to try and get as much detail in as possible. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus went here. Uh, I don't think it was meant to be interpreted uh, in a metaphorical sense. But nonetheless, uh, I wanted to share two points that I'm hoping will either be encouraging to you or will kind of be thought-provoking for you uh, as you read over this passage this week. If you if you don't read over the passage during the week, I do encourage you to make that a habit. Um, just have a meta, just even if you finish your daily devotional, just have a skim uh, over the Sunday passage during the week and reflect and meditate upon it. But point number one, uh, an observation I want to make about this passage is that Jesus hears the prayers of his people. Jesus hears the prayers of his people. Now, in today's passage, we saw that the apostles were in the boat with Jesus. You know, Jesus told them, get in the boat, let's go across the sea to Gerasenes, and they encounter a mega storm. It was a storm of epic proportions. 
And to give you a bit of perspective, uh, even more perspective of how severe this storm was, um, you have to remember that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen by trade. These guys were seasoned men of the sea. This is what they did for work prior to meeting Jesus. And they spent most of their time on the Sea of Galilee. You know, I mentioned that the, the, the weather conditions in the Sea of Galilee were very unpredictable. These four men would have been very accustomed to this. And yet even these men, seasoned fishermen, this is all they did every day. Even these men, despite all their experience and expertise, they were terrified and they recognized that they were at the mercy of this storm. They saw that the boat was filling up with water. They saw that the, the boat was getting smashed from all sides by waves. And despite all their years of experience, Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew that unless there was some sort of divine intervention, that death was just around the corner. They knew that their situation was hopeless. But in the midst of all this hopelessness, what do they do? They call out to Jesus. And yeah, like they, they address him with the wrong title. Uh, it's a bit of a relegated title. Um, they relegate the Son of God to nothing more than a teacher. But nonetheless, their cry to Jesus really was a cry for help. And Jesus, who's been, you know, he's been asleep up until, I still don't know how he slept through the storm, but he was asleep up until this point. And we've seen that he didn't respond to the storm. You know, waves were crashing, thunder, boat shaking back and forth, doesn't respond to the storm. But he awakes and he springs to action the moment he hears the voice of his people. The moment his people petition him, he jumps to action. And my encouragement with this first point, it's more of a reminder that Jesus hears your prayers. He hears my prayers. He hears our prayers. He hears the prayers of his people always and clearly. You know, maybe your language isn't that theologically accurate. Maybe your words when you pray aren't that well-polished or eloquent. Maybe, maybe because of your situation, you might tell yourself, Christ is just so far removed from your situation. He's not really going to hear you all that clearly. But we see in today's passage that in the midst of even mega chaos, Christ hears the voice of his people crisp and clear. Now, all of us, and I say all of us, we experience pain. All of us. We experience struggles. And we come from different cultures. And maybe our cultures uh, have shaped us to bottle up our struggles and maybe keep it to ourselves. However, all of us experience pain all of us experience struggles because we're descendants of adam we're not immune to the pitfalls of living in a fallen world all of us go through life at times 
feeling like the pressures and the burdens of our struggles sometimes feel too much for us to shoulder. All of us will go through times when we feel like our knees are going to buckle. And if you've ever spiraled into a depression, sometimes you'll feel like even your cries for help are silent to the world around you. And maybe it feels like despite our cries for help, it's just falling on deaf ears. But the encouragement from today's passage is that this is not so with the Christ. Even in the midst of a mega storm, our master hears our voice crystal clear. And this should be a huge motivation for us when we pray to him. And in addition, today's passage reveals to us who it is that we're actually praying to. Because the question that the apostles asked at the end of today's passage reveals a facet of Jesus' identity. What was their question? Their question was, who then is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? Who has authority over creation like this? Well, like I mentioned earlier, by logic, the only conclusion that you can come to is that the one who has authority over creation can only be the creator himself. And this should drive us when it comes to prayer. Not only because we're praying to the creator, but because through today's passage, we learn that even in the midst of a mega storm, our voices will never be drowned out by chaos. But Jesus hears our prayers crystal clear. Final point. If you are going to suffer, suffer with Christ. If you're going to suffer, suffer with Christ. Now, in previous weeks, I explained that when it comes to becoming like Jesus, uh, that one of the fundamental tenets of the Christian life is sacrificial service. Not success, not prosperity, but sacrifice. Uh, but it seems that this is a very foreign concept to Western modern-day Christianity in the 21st century because the popular mentality today is not to serve but to be served. I'll come to church, I'll be served, and then when my, my spirituality is mature enough, then you know maybe in the future I'll consider myself ready to serve in some capacity. However, this is counter to what Scripture teaches. We grow not so that we can serve in the future, but the Scriptures teach us that our service to the kingdom now is what helps us grow. It's what shapes us. And even in our understanding of suffering, in a sense, Western Christianity has warped this. Because we tend to view suffering as something foreign to the Christian life. And maybe it's not intentional. But a lot of Christians today tend to think, you know, once faith appears, genuine faith appears, then suffering is meant to disappear. And so when suffering comes, we're often left asking questions. Like, what's going on? This shouldn't be happening. And we might even exercise the audacity to question the goodness of God. How can a good God allow this to happen to me? But what does scripture say about suffering? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Philippians 3.10, Paul writes to the churches in Philippi, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. In the book of Job, 42 chapters of a righteous man of God experiencing nothing but suffering. So we know that according to scripture, that suffering isn't something foreign to the Christian life, but it comes as part of the package. And even in today's passage, I guarantee you, because one of the doctrinal beliefs that we have about God that's revealed through Scripture is that our God is a sovereign God. He knows past, present, and future. He's predestined everything until the day that this world comes to an end. And so Christ, second person of the Godhead, when he issued the command, let's go across the Sea of Galilee to the city of Gerasenes, he knew exactly what he was taking his apostles into. He knew exactly of the mega storm that was going to approach them. But what was the point of it all? What's the purpose of storms when it comes to the Christian life? Is there a purpose to it? Is there a meaning to it? Well, Paul writes in Romans 5, 3-5, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Scripture promises that for those who enter and encounter storms clinging to Christ, that for these people, their suffering has a purpose. According to Paul, who wrote Romans, Paul says that suffering shapes and refines faith. Why? Because it creates endurance, and endurance strengthens our character, and our character grows our hope in Christ. In other words, to summarize that, Paul is saying that suffering is God's vehicle for growing and strengthening the faith of his people. And as unflattering as the New Testament narratives are when they speak about the apostles, particularly Peter. Peter's not often presented in a very flattering light. You know, today's passage, we see that the apostles, having seen the creator exercise authority over creation, they don't understand that this is God. Um, they don't understand who Jesus is, despite everything that they've seen. However, their response to the storm really is something that should be commended. Because when they recognized that there was no hope in and of themselves, the four fishermen in particular, seasoned men of the sea, when they recognize that they can't save themselves, what do they do? They call upon Christ. And I would implore everyone at FLM, and for myself as well, that we should do likewise. That we should make it a practice of crying out to Jesus in the midst of our suffering. Firstly, because we have a guarantee, as I mentioned in point one, that Jesus, the creator, hears us clearly, even in the midst of mega storms. But secondly, because if we're going to suffer, we should make it a practice to suffer in Christ and with Christ. Because if we suffer in Christ and with Christ, it means that suffering will never be in vain. But rather, if we suffer in Christ and with Christ by calling upon his name, it ensures that our suffering will always have meaning and purpose. 
that it will serve to refine and strengthen our faith and our heart's desire as we treasure the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to suffer, then suffer in Christ. Now, I want to go into a time of prayer now. And like I mentioned earlier, we believe in a sovereign God. And the word that we receive each week uh, is never a coincidence. The word that God reveals to us each week is never a coincidence. And so I genuinely believe that there was a purpose to this passage being preached today. Maybe there are people in here going through that difficult season in life where the struggle and the burden, you know, you've been shouldering it for so long and you're starting to feel like your knees are going to buckle. And maybe you grew up in a type of culture that's trained you to keep these struggles bottled up. Or perhaps you're in a state where you feel that even if you do cry out for help, it's falling on deaf ears. But we have an assurance and a promise in this account of Mark's gospel where Jesus demonstrates that even in mega storms he hears the voice of his people so clearly that even through the waves battering the boats smashing it from all sides that his ear is always receptive to our voice and so if you are going through a season where you're shouldering a burden, where you are struggling, I encourage you to petition the king that hears our voice clearly and lay these burdens at his feet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, we know that this passage has been preached in so many different ways throughout the course of history. But we know from what we've just unpackaged that this passage isn't about Jesus taking away the storms. Otherwise, he wouldn't have ordered the apostles to cross the Sea of Galilee. That suffering is not a foreign concept to the Christian life, but it is part of the package, part of what it means to follow Jesus. That in becoming like Christ, that we're to expect suffering. And for each one of us, because we are descendants of Adam, we do experience suffering. We do experience pain. Pain that is very real. Pain that really hurts at times to the point where it almost feels like we can't shoulder this burden any further. And so, Lord, we thank you for today's passage that you reveal through this account in Jesus' ministry that Christ, the, the person in whose name we pray, is not a faraway being that separates himself from the suffering of his people, but goes into the storm with his people. That he carries with him the full weight of authority as not just an angelic being, but as the creator of the universe. Fully God, fully man. We thank you that this creator is a being that hears the voice of his people clearly, no matter how mega or great the storm is. And so, Lord, for those of us that are, that are suffering, we lay this at your feet. We pray for healing. We pray for answers. And we pray that this suffering would not be in vain because you promise it in your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.